Well, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Daniel, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at this chapter in its entirety this morning. A story that uh, probably most of you are familiar with, even if you have not uh, been in the church very much, or maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Uh, you've probably had some reference to this story, and if not, it may be new to you even. Uh, it's a great story, and I'm praying that even for those of you that this might be familiar, uh, you might know this story well, that, that it would just bring uh, just a fresh sense of encouragement to your soul and spur you on as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to read the passage this morning as we go through the sermon, and so we'll just be tracking along with that as we go. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help as we open his word today. Father, we thank you that you have given us truth. We thank you that you have revealed in the pages of Holy Scripture everything that we need for life and godliness. Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would be present to give us understanding of this wonderful treasure of divine revelation, that you would open our hearts and minds to be receptive to what we are confronted with today in your word. Would you change us and would you do a work that only you can do for the glory of your name? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you seek to live as a faithful Christian, you will be asked to compromise your faith, if not outright deny it. If your desire is to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you will be asked to compromise your faith or you'll be asked to to, to completely deny it altogether. This past week, in some way, you faced this. Whether it was something you chose to watch or a conversation you chose to participate in, an activity you chose to embrace, a post you chose to like, in one way or another, your loyalty to Christ and his gospel was tested. The same will be true this week. We come to Daniel chapter three, and here through phase one of the deportation from Israel, we have Daniel, three of his companions, and a host of others from Israel that have been brought to Babylon, living now in exile because of the idolatry and the and faithfulness of the people of God. God had told them many times over, if you do not repent, this is going to happen. I'm going to take you away from your land. And this is exactly what has happened now. Phase one has been completed. Now we have Israel, part of them at least, in Babylon, in exile. But Daniel and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are, they've been those that have kind of caught the king's eye. They've been brought to the king and and given very important roles in this pagan society. Now you have these faithful Israelites, these worshipers of of God, only God, now very active and very involved and in very important roles in a pagan society ruled by a pagan king. 
We know that this exile really served as a form of punishment for Israel, but not only that, it served to expose their hearts and to remind them that God, even in exile, is present with them and will one day take them back home. One of the things that the book of Daniel in its entirety reminds us of, but certainly in Daniel chapter three, is that God's people will be tested. Your loyalty to Christ, your loyalty to God, your loyalty to the gospel will be tested. If you're a Christian, let me get this clear, it will be tested. If, you're, if you've lived life as a Christian, you're like, I've never really been tested. My loyalty to the gospel has never been tried. You're probably not a Christian. You say, well, that's a strong statement. It's just honest. There's no way you can live in this world, in this culture, in this day, or any day since the fall, and seek to be devoted to Christ and his cause and your loyalty to him not be tested in some way. Impossible. Daniel's a book that reminds us of that testing. Daniel chapter three is a specific example, historical take, uh, a historical uh, uh, reminder of exactly what that can look like at times. So what does it look like to remain loyalty to the Lord? What does it look like to be, remain loyal to the Lord when our faith is under fire? When our faith is being tested, what does it look like to remain faithful? Sometimes we face outright persecution. Most of us have not faced that kind of persecution that I'm talking about. Many of our brothers and sisters in the world today have amazing, intense pressures that they face daily. To do this would be a death sentence. What we're doing today, we just take advantage. We're whining about the hour we lost. We're whining about how cold it is again. Friends, our brothers and sisters in the other parts of the world would give their right arm for this. We dare not whine about a little inconvenience here and there. Some of them are, are facing amazing persecutions, but sometimes we face not, not outright persecution, but, but cultural marginalization. You say, well, that's persecution, whatever. Whatever you wanna call it. Uh, the point being is that at some point in time, you and I, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, will be tested. Our loyalty to him will be tested. Our faithfulness to the gospel will be tested. Whether that's through direct persecution, threats of jail or death or physical harm, or just simply being marginalized by those around us. So how do we deal with that? Well, Daniel chapter three gives us four things to look at, to consider that helps us understand our place and response as believers when our faith is being tested, when our faith is under fire and our loyalty to God is at stake. Let's look at these together from Daniel chapter three. I wanna begin reading uh, Daniel chapter three, verses one through seven. We're gonna begin with this point, the agenda of conformity. So one of the things that we need to be aware of as we face a difficult culture, a difficult uh, life as Christians in a world that does not acknowledge the gospel, we need to understand this agenda of conformity. Let's look together at chapter three, beginning in verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. And when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tregon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You know, as we come to, as we come to Daniel chapter three, we're confronted immediately with a dilemma, aren't we? Nebuchadnezzar constructs this golden image. It was likely 90 feet high, nine feet wide. So it wasn't a small image. It's not something you'd put on a shelf in a house. This was something that would be on display, maybe in a center of town or something like that. We know that it was on a plane. Most likely, by the way, this image was constructed in the very same place that the Tower of Babel back in Genesis was constructed. So we have this golden image that was now constructed and established and an edict now given to everyone that they're to bow down and worship this image. And if one refused, be cast immediately into a burning fiery furnace facing immediate death. The mention of the statue here in chapter three does kind of remind us of the image of the dream in chapter two, whether or not the dream kind of motivated Nebuchadnezzar to, to establish this image, we're not really sure. Uh, seems to have some kind of tie, but it may not. But regardless, Nebuchadnezzar's goal is crystal clear. He would not rest until he had obtained the complete devotion of every person in Babylon, including the exiles. You see there in the text that this was uh, for, um, for all, for all. We're told that, O peoples, nations, and languages, it was for all the people. So his message was simple, conform or die. It's pretty straightforward. Put this image, you're to worship this image. You're going to conform to my request, to my demand, to my edict. You're going to conform to what I'm asking you to do or, or you can die. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple, right? One or the other. You conform or you die. We know that even the establishment of the United States religious persecution was one of the motivations for that the desire for religious liberty and the desire for government uh, to be removed from the, any establishment of religion was a big part of this nation's founding. We get in trouble when governments are put in charge of religion. Obviously, God ordains governments. He had even ordained the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne in Babylon. He had ordained the fact that not only that, that this nation driven by this wicked pagan king would come and actually destroy Jerusalem. This was God's doing. Remember from Daniel chapter one. And certainly we're to pray for and obey our government so long as they do not infringe upon our consciences. And I would even go so far as to say that when the opportunity presents itself, very much like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we should involve ourselves in politics and in government when 
we're able and when we have those opportunities. However, Nebuchadnezzar had gone too far. He'd gone too far. His administration was not content with anything less than a totalitarian government. He was not content on anything less than complete and absolute devotion to, to the Babylonian way. Friends, we may not live in that type of government overreach today, though many of our brothers and sisters in Christ do. But we do live in a culture that's increasingly hostile to Christianity and that is not content on anything less than our conformity to its worldview. As modern Babylon is alive and well, and it wants you to be a good citizen. Again, you may not be asked to bow down and worship a golden image, but I, I, can, I can guarantee you that you will be asked to bow down to something. Asked to bow down to the demands of culture or face the consequences. Sure, the consequences we face here in the West aren't, aren't a fiery furnace or a den of lions. But there are consequences if we do not conform. So we not only need to understand that there is a pressure for us to conform. We need to know what its message is so that we can engage it in a proper way. Simply retreating from the culture or assimilating completely into it will not do. We're to be in the world, but not of it. And Christians do too, too, they tend to respond to either of those extremes. They either try to go hide somewhere until Jesus comes back Let's keep ourselves from the stain of the world. Or they'll completely just embrace everything in it. We're not called to do either one of those. We do need to understand that we live in a highly evangelistic culture. And Christians are not the only one doing the evangelism. It's a world out there that's evangelistic. It's, it's, it's preaching, it's gospel, so to speak, to you every single day. It wants you to embrace it and adopt it, not just tolerate it. We've moved on from those days. We're no longer in this, this um, religion, worldview neutral culture, not that we ever have been. That doesn't exist. The world wants you to conform. I believe that in some ways the culture has hijacked the first commandment and made it its own. You shall have no other gods before me. I think that's the same commandment that the world would preach to you. You should have no other gods before me, the world would say. This is God's command though. Friends, the question you and I will face every single day until Jesus comes again is quite simple. Will you conform to the way of the world or will you not? You see what Nebuchadnezzar had set up here in this passage and in this, this time was complete conformity. Complete conformity to this God, to ultimately to him or face immediate death. And will you conform to the world or will you not? When it seems that everyone else has bowed the knee today to the golden images that surround us, what will you do? Parents, what are you telling your children? How are you equipping them? How are you preparing and equipping yourself 
It's the pr- pressure to conform is not always so cut and dry as we see here in Babylon. It's not always like this. In some ways, and I don't say this lightly, in some ways this was fairly straightforward, wasn't it? Thou live or don't and die. And in some ways, although death is a pretty permanent reality, uh, that would have been the easier way. Okay, I die. That's done. But the pressures you and I face tend to be ongoing, don't they? The the pressure to conform, the pressure to bow down to the idols of this world tend to be ongoing. We need to understand we face this pressure. So we see this in this text. We see just the agenda of conformity. I just want to, to... Verses one through seven basically just sets this up for us. There's this pressure to bow. There's this call to to bow to another idol, to to put another before God. But then we go to the second observation, and this is what I call the test of loyalty. We find that in verses eight through 18. There are gonna be many, many times in your life as a Christian. If you're here today as a Christian, there are gonna be many times in your life where you must make a stand. You will either bow or you will remain standing. And friends, many times to remain standing on the truth of the gospel, you're going to find is a very lonely place. Not everyone though in Babylon obeyed the king's edict as we will see. Let's pick up in verse eight. Therefore, At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed. Notice the little... A little slight there. You appointed king over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So here we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, thanks to Daniel, ultimately thanks to the Lord, but through Daniel, had been given high-ranking responsibilities in Babylon. I mean, these were part of King Nebuchadnezzar's government. I mean, the, these guys were serving in important roles. So the problem we face here is not only were these three non-compliant Jews, they were non-compliant uh, officials in the king's administration. That's a problem, right? It's bad enough to have citizens that aren't listening to your edict, but it's, it's worse in some ways to have those of your own administration not listening to your own instruction. This is exactly what we find here in verses uh, eight through 12. And so as you can imagine, this sends King Nebuchadnezzar off his rocker. He's immediately enraged and he demands to see them. Let's pick up in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, 
If you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not, if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So imagine these three standing before the most powerful king of the day, refusing previously to bow down to the image that he's constructed, kind of been ratted out now, now you're standing before him, being confronted for this lack of obedience to the king's edict, and he's saying, is it true? One more opportunity to prove yourself loyal to me. When you hear the music, bow down and worship. And if not, you will die. Most of us will never be in this position, most likely. Thousands of our brothers and sisters have and face this kind of thing every day. So it, it would not, it, I don't know how helpful it would be to us to just, oh, what would I do in this situation? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, we would like to think, well, you, we would stand firm. I'm gonna be like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't think the purpose of this text is for you to analyze whether or not you would remain faithful in this instance. God will give you the strength and he will give you the wisdom in the time in which you face certain pressures and persecutions. But certainly serves for us as a reminder of, of how our loyalty to God will often be tested. Friends, as they stand here, and even though King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't understand this, this was not so much a test for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a test of their loyalty to King Nebuchadnezzar, as much as it was a test of their loyalty to God. This was, this was like the pinnacle of all first commandment situations, right? Will you worship God and him alone? Or will you bow down to other idols? Would they be loyal to, to Nebuchadnezzar or would they be loyal to God? Just think about this. I mean, we, we wanna get creative at times, don't we? I mean, after all, if you were in their shoes, you could say, well, couldn't they just bow down outwardly and not mean it inwardly? After all, God knows my heart. be tested more than others. Let me move to the third point, number three. We see here the, the promise in verse, let's pick up in, in verse 19. Because what, the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego only went to prove that Nebuchadnezzar is a man of his word. At least he's an honest guy. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. By the way, what, what do you think that's telling us? They're going to die either way. I mean, it's going to take the same amount of time, whether it's normal or seven times. What it's, not, what it's telling us is not that, uh, that the death was more painful. That's not at all what this is saying. 
it's just told, it's, it's going to set up for us that the, the miracles all great. So, seven times more than it's usually in verse 20. And he ordered some of the mighty men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would be one of these guys, to cast them into the burning fire furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the burning, fiery furnace. You know, notice the immediacy of the king's orders. He orders the, 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 the furnace to be heated sometimes greater than normal. He just takes them in as they are, with their tunics, with their clothes still on, bows them, and he takes them and he tosses them into the, the, the furnace. But then what happens next is quite dramatic. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. It's likely he had some kind of way that he could see. A lot of times I think people will say that, that there was probably two levels to this furnace and there was a way for him to see inside of it. He was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning, burning fiery furnace. Try to say that to not fast. Burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's councilors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. It's quite amazing. The toss into this furnace. Everybody would imagine that there would be immediately you know, guards that took them there. They're dead. They didn't go into the furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace and he sees three men walking around, not hurt. Not only that, there's a fourth figure whose appearance is like a son of the gods. Now, some think that this is an early manifestation of Christ's presence, an early appearance of the Son of God. Others think it's an angel. I think that. The text says what it said. We just need to be reminded of what the text say what it said. And I don't know that I think the point being made is about the completeness of God's protection and his divine presence, regardless of who this figure is. So this week in your hungers, don't spend 25 minutes arguing over who this fourth person is. Right? Spend 25 minutes on applying how great the presence and provision of God is in your life. That would be real helpful. been true all through Israel's history. And no less true now that they were in Babylon. The fact that God was present to protect them. Indeed, the prophet Isaiah, some two centuries earlier, prophesied concerning Israel in chapter 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, 
You will not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a literal fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah some two centuries ago. God's protection, His, His divine presence, was what sustained these three men in the midst of this burning furnace. Friends, that's been the message of the Bible. That is the message of the Bible. God's presence delivers people. Just think about it. Before Israel became a nation, they were delivered from Egypt, which Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 20 refers to as an iron furnace. Moses says of Egypt that this is an iron furnace. Israel's delivered. Hundreds of years prior to that, Isaiah refers to Israel's captivity or future captivity as the furnace of affliction. Now here in Daniel 3, God is making good on His Word by delivering these three men from a literal furnace of affliction. Literal deliverance right here for these three men, which was also a picture of deliverance for this whole nation. This is what God does. He's in the business of protecting and preserving a people for Himself. The story continues. One day God would send His Son into the world to walk among His people. So as to secure their deliverance. We refer to him as Emmanuel. God with us. Indeed this one, this Christ, this son of God who came into the world. Would ultimately go to an old rugged cross. And lay down his life. Suffering the pain and hell of a cross. In order to absorb the complete just wrath. Fury of God's righteous wrath. So to keep us from an eternal furnace. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not God is in the business of delivering people. That is the message of the Bible. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, there is no comfort for you in this world. You've never trusted in Jesus Christ to be Savior and Lord of your life. I can't give you any comfort as a Savior. I can't do this. I can point to the one who can. And if you are here, not a Christian, but you're bowing down to the golden image, so to speak, not literally, but, but you're just committed to this, to this secular world, then know that one day the image will crumble. It will crumble. And you'll go down and it's rubble. Remind you, friend, don't, don't find your hope in a golden age. Don't find your hope in this world and the ways that this world wants to, to point you. Look to the one who is the image of the invisible God. Look to Christ. Trust in Him and rest in Him and you will be delivered. This is where true comfort, this is where true hope can be found is through Christ. Remember as this uh, as this scene so clearly teaches us. These men were in a literal furnace, and God's miraculous provision was granted to the living. His presence was there. I think too often as Christians we make obedience to Jesus to mean there's no fire. I think sometimes as Christians we think, okay, if I'm faithful to Jesus, there's no furnace. No, it's completely the opposite in this text, isn't it? Faithful to God, fire furnace. 
Don't come up with some version of Christianity that, that, that's easy. Obedience to Christ often means you need to put it to I think that's what uh, Peter's point is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, he says, Do not be surprised at the fire trial that comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What you should find, by the way, friend, as strange if you could go throughout this life as a Christian and not face any affliction. You should find that really strange. But rejoice, he says, insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter's telling us here. And for this Seen here in Babylon, what is it doing? It's encouraging us. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Romans 15. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fire furnace that they faced was a literal historical event. Not some kind of made up story just to encourage you. This happened. And as it happened then, it's, it was recorded by the, by, the, by the work of the Holy Spirit, inspired to, to be recorded for us in Holy Scripture as a means for your instruction and your encouragement so that you might have hope. This is just another stamp from God saying, I am faithful to my people. I am faithful to deliver. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I deliver my people. I am faithful to my promises. When you're struggling, wondering where God is, Go read Daniel chapter 3. He's right in the middle of fire. Sometimes God does deliver us from temporal trials, and sometimes He doesn't. In some ways, this story is both, isn't it? God could have delivered them from even going into the fire. But they go into the fire, and they're delivered out of us. Regardless, this event here is, is a, again, it's a down payment promise that the one who would be present with his people in the fire there to deliver them is the same one who would take his people back to the promised land years later. And friend, he is the same one who walks with you and I today, and he will see to it that we will make our way home. Cling to that promise. You might feel the heat of the furnace, but friend, do not grow weary and do not lose hearts. God is present and God is faithful. And finally, number four, of a subtleness of reality. At the end, after the three were brought out of the furnace and nothing happened, Nebuchadnezzar responds. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. Set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid ruins. There is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. 
quite a response, isn't it? Notice, by the way, that in verse 29, Nebuchadnezzar answers his own question that he posed in verse 15. Remember that? Who's the God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? Verse 29, this God is. Not only that, he's the only one that can do that. So Nebuchadnezzar praises the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and makes this decree to protect the worship of their God, and he promotes them. So he gives them religious liberty, and he gives them a raise. God, wow! Nebuchadnezzar is my God, right? Not so fast. While there is this point here that we can elaborate on, and I think we've seen it already in the previous weeks, that God blesses the faithfulness of His people. That's there in the text. They were faithful and God blesses them for their faithfulness. I think it would do as well to consider something from Nebuchadnezzar's response that's important and may be easily overlooked. While Nebuchadnezzar's perspective about God has changed, his heart really hasn't. Even though, even though he acknowledges God, he still speaks of God as their God. Not his God. This is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is not the God of Nebuchadnezzar. He's pretty powerful. You should, you should look into it. I don't think there's any evidence of the conversion. There are many like Nebuchadnezzar in our world today, many of our churches. There's a willingness, a willingness to recognize the reality of God. There are those who have a genuine respect for God, but no desire to submit to Him or follow Him. I wonder if that's your perspective. In your mind, God is very real, He's true, He's worthy of honor. Powerful. It's just not for you. And you don't mind giving him an hour or so on Sunday. You don't mind that your kids get more involved. Go to church. You have no intention to forsake your own idols and truly follow them. And if that's the kind of perspective you have, and there are many in the world like this, many in our churches are like this. Just know that hell will be filled with this same mentality. Hell will be filled with people who respect God, who think He's true, that He's got some good things to say. There was never any conversion. There was never any faith, never repentance. I strongly urge you to move beyond and your respect for God. And pray to find Him as the only source of your joy and your peace. Look to Christ and allow a general respect for God to give way to a devoted reverence for Him. Christians, you're, you're around people in this world, you all the time. I just want to say some reminders. Don't think it's sufficient for someone to simply have a respect for God. Don't think that there's no room for evangelism. If you know someone, well, they, 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 they acknowledge God. They don't have anything against faith. Don't think that there's no room for evangelism there. There's much room for evangelism. Someone with a respect for God needs to move from respect 
through repentance to reverence. And that can only happen through the gospel. So keep telling them the gospel. Keep pointing them to Christ. As a, as a Christian, your faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested. When was the last time your faith was tested? Let's say, for most of us, every Lord's Day is such a test. Will I go and gather with the saints and gather with the people of God to bow down to the one and true God? Or will I give way to the Babylonians? But beyond today's point, I would venture to say that every day is such a test. Whether it's in the hallway at school, in the break room at work, or in the family room at home, or around the dinner table, at Thanksgiving. Your loyalty to God will be tested. Will you notice that? And how will we respond to that? We're reminded through this great story those who seek to be faithful to God will often endure very difficult things. The question is, will we, by God's grace, remain faithful? Knowing that He is a God who is present and He is a God who will deliver ultimately. May we not be free. But may, by the grace of God, may we be a couple of hundred who refuse to bow the knee to the golden images around us in this culture. By the grace of God, may we be a church when everyone else is bowing down, may we be a couple hundred strong that are standing tall. By the grace of God, seeking the glory of God for the good of this world. Father, we're grateful that we have been called to be servants of the Most High God, the one and true God. So Lord, with gratitude, we want to be reminded this morning that the challenge that we face in our faith is real. The challenges that we endure, the pressures that are mounted against us, the Opposition. I mean, it's, it's a reality that we face every day, and if we're not seeing that, we're just we're living in ignorance. So, God, would you help us to, to see where there's areas of compromise, where, where people are, are calling for us not just to compromise, but to, to completely deny our faith. So, Lord, would you strengthen us and would you give us grace to stand firm? Stand tall as your people. For we know that it's not going to get any easier in this world to live for Christ. So, Lord, we just pray for, for help, to persevere, for wisdom and strength. Father, maybe there's some in this room today that's, that they hear this this morning and they're drawn to, to you because they realize they don't have a relationship with you. They've never trusted in Christ and, and they, they don't have salvation. They, they know that they've given way to this to the idols around them. Lord, would you just stir their hearts and you draw them to yourself today? For the believer in this room, I pray that you would just spur us on. Firm in our heart. Keep firm in our hearts the truth. And help us not to be naive to the culture around us. Show us areas even our own lives where we've compromised. God, would you lead us to repentance? 